Finding Purpose, The Song of My Life, Episode 37, Hippiedom to Christendom. Welcome back, everyone. I was thinking about how to begin this episode, which will include our visit with my parents and our hippie friends, when this word came to my mind, hippiedom. I was thinking of our lives back then as a journey out of hippiedom. All of our new experiences were going to affect the relationships we had with everyone we knew. The challenge we had at the time was learning a new way of communicating with family members and old friends. Their lives were still the same. Ours, on the other hand, had changed drastically. We were going to need God's wisdom in how to explain why our purpose in life was different now. I looked up the word hippiedom in the dictionary to see if it's a real word. Sure enough, it is, and here are some of the descriptions I found that are varied and interesting. It means the condition or state of being characterized by unconventional dress and the communal lifestyle that developed in the 60s. The values were counterculture towards the established society, with an opposition to war, with liberal attitudes towards sexuality, and the use of marijuana and psychedelic drugs. Funny, but I didn't see music listed in any of the definitions. I would tend to say, since I lived through that period, that the music was the most obvious and driving force behind the hippie movement of the 60s and early 70s. So that leaves the question, what does it mean if someone comes out of the hippiedom world? Well, the most dangerous influence that we experienced was believing in fake spirituality that was called the New Age of Aquarius. Of course, the regular use of drugs and living in this imaginary world of meditating with so-called spiritual music held us captive. We had left that mindset behind us now, but it still didn't mean that we had become conservative in all things just because we had become Christian believers. It was not so cut and dry as that. I still wore long dresses and we lived communally. But most importantly, our spiritual understanding had changed. Our hearts, our morals, and also our music. And our new music, singing songs from the Bible, played a big part in the renewing of our minds and getting us onto the right track with God. And then there is a similar problem concerning the meaning of being a Christian. People have lots of different views and understandings as to what that means. We found ourselves on both sides of the spectrum. There are prejudices and preconceived ideas involved. Both Thomas and I had those kinds of opinions about Christianity. And I had never even heard the phrase born-again Christians in the Methodist Church. I looked up the definition of a Christian. It's also varied. Here is what I found. The dictionary meaning is one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ, a member of a church, commendably decent or generous, one who believes in Jesus Christ and follows his teachings, a religion based on the Bible as sacred scripture and includes all denominations. Those are very broad and sweeping descriptions, and probably most people have at least one of those views. Christendom is defined as the part of the world in which Christianity prevails. 
Compared to the dictionary, there is also a biblical description. According to the Bible, in the book of Acts, chapter 11, it says the disciples were called Christians. They were people who had heard the gospel of repent and believe from the apostles that Jesus had sent out. There are only two other references to the followers of Jesus being called Christians. These three verses are all in the context of persecution that the new believers and apostles were going through at the time. Peter wrote in his first letter to the early church, If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And in a way, Thomas and I, we were caught in between these glaring radical differences within our culture. Not in our minds we weren't, but by the preconceived ideas of people around us. It didn't bother us. We were just trusting God's guidance and timing in talking to certain people. I'm sure that my parents still saw us as hippies, and our hippie friends thought we had caved in, tossed our freedom to the wind, and had joined the ranks of old-fashioned Christianity, those people who are narrow-minded. Whatever side of the fence people lived on, we would need to learn how to share our faith based on the Bible and not on the cultural norms of what a Christian is. And we had the perfect example to follow, Jesus. He could reach into people's hearts and speak to them with the truth. In the second letter of Timothy, we had found a passage in the fourth chapter that said, Preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. And we found a similar verse in the first letter of the Apostle Peter. He wrote, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready or prepared always to give an answer to every man that asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. This was the same thing that Jim Durkin had said to us. God is preparing you to go into the world and give an answer to the hope that you have. So now back to our story about heading out on Highway 101 to visit my parents in the San Francisco Bay Area, specifically the town of San Lorenzo where I grew up. In my early episodes, I had talked about what life was like there, so you get a pretty good idea of typical California suburbia in the 50s and 60s. Thomas and I were excited to go now on our first trip together since we had been at Living Waters. We were a bit nervous about what it would be like staying with my family. Practically speaking, we were aware that we would have to adapt a new way of talking, both with my parents and our friends about the Bible. Good thing we had already spent the last seven months with the focus being on understanding and practicing it. This would be a test for us in learning how to explain our faith and the things that were important to us. As we got into the Bay Area, we took the freeway towards Hayward. It was fun when we recognized the familiar exit to San Lorenzo. When we turned the corner into the town and passed my high school, Thomas said, We're almost home. I'm looking forward to seeing Mom and Dad. Near the shopping center, we pulled into the driveway next to my dad's pickup truck. Their car was under the carport, but there was still plenty of room for us to park there. It was a funny feeling, kind of like when we had arrived there two years ago from West Berlin. This time, we were married and had our baby girl with us, and were returning from teepee and cabin life in the Redwoods. 
For little Naomi, this would be a big experience, seeing Grandma and Grandpa's home. I hope she remembered my sisters, her aunties, whom she had first met at Living Waters. My mom was the first one out the door to greet us. She was so happy to see her granddaughter. For sure, this seven-month-old little girl couldn't comprehend the new world she was entering. There was nothing that would have looked familiar to her. There were no forest trees and dirt paths to be seen, only paved streets, driveways, sidewalks, and big cars lining the street. My dad and my sisters came out to help carry our things and held open the screen door for us. Ah, home again. I loved coming home, even if it wasn't where I lived anymore. It was the beautiful house that my dad had built himself and the safe place where I grew up. It was so full of special memories. And now our little family had arrived, and it would be the beginning of many more happy memories for our daughters in the following years. They all loved visiting Grandma and Grandpa in their cozy home. My mom took us to the back of the house where my room was. It still looked pretty much the same, with my turquoise paisley wallpaper and pictures on the walls from thrift stores. In my teenage hippie years, I had brought home old furniture like a bed, a dresser, and coffee table where my record player stood. My grandma's quilt and afghans were still on the bed. The only different thing was that the photo collage of the Beatles and rock stars on the ceiling had been taken down. It must have been a lot of work because I had taped and even glued some of them. I think my sister also offered her room next to mine for the three of us. Mom had done a lot of preparation for our visit. She had borrowed a baby travel bed, a playpen for the living room, and a nice high chair. I put Naomi down on the wall-to-wall carpet so she could follow us crawling into the living room. Another surprise was waiting for her in there, a large Christmas tree with wrapped presents under it. I lifted her up to see the nativity scene on the mantle of the fireplace and showed her the figurines. It was pretty special that we would be spending four days with my family for Christmas. In the meantime, Dad had taken his place in his recliner, and my sisters were helping in the kitchen getting dinner ready. Thomas started some small talk while I rested on the couch. I sensed that we would have a nice time in contrast to the past, where there had been many unpleasant discussions. I felt a sigh of relief that those days were over. When we all gathered around the dinner table and I set Naomi in the high chair, I had a flashback of being there the Christmas before when I was pregnant. None of us could have imagined what would take place in our lives in that coming year. The next day was Christmas and we had our traditional family time of unwrapping presents and having breakfast together. I love that Naomi and Thomas got in on our family tradition. Little Naomi and my mom were playing on the floor with the new toys, and we took lots of pictures around the tree and had fun watching Naomi learning to stand up, holding on to the playpen or the coffee table. A couple of days after Christmas, I called my girlfriend and told her that we were in town and would like to see them. She was pleasantly surprised and said, sure, here's our new address in Hayward. I was looking forward to seeing her daughter that was born a few months before Naomi. We had been friends since our last year in high school, and it was nice that our relationship continued after I returned from Berlin with Thomas. We had done some crazy things before that, like going camping to Big Sur without sleeping bags and driving all over to rock concerts and festivals. 
After I returned from Germany, our husbands hit it off, so we hung out together. She taught me how to crochet little cappies that I had sold at the flea market, along with the hippie dresses I made, and my favorite maroon one I had on in the photo that Thomas took of me. I was sitting on the wooden steps in our garden in Oakland. That photo became my book and podcast cover so many years later. As hippie couples, we had some fun experiences together, but some things we did were pretty far out, like camping in the snow in Utah, the men taking drugs, and skinny dipping in the river that we found there. Her husband had unfortunately gotten strung out on drugs while he was in Vietnam, and he loved sharing his hobby with Thomas. He had even given Thomas LSD to take with him when we moved away with our teepee. That was scary for me when I found out because I was pregnant and he was still on probation for marijuana charges. I just realized now that when we went to visit them that day, I hadn't considered that Thomas might be tempted by his friend's habits. So we packed the baby in the car and drove over to their place. We were excited to tell them everything that had happened to us in the past eight months. On arriving, my friend and I were happy to see each other and show each other our cute babies. We all sat down in the living room and put the girls on the floor with some toys. She had made whole wheat cookies and offered us some herbal tea. We had so much to talk about, and I knew that Thomas's main topic would be telling his story of how he got saved. But sure enough, at some point, her husband offered Thomas the joint, which had always been their routine. It was interesting to see how Thomas turned it down and used it as another reason to tell about how Jesus had set him free of drugs. Our friends were fascinated listening to him tell the story about the bonfire event at Living Waters, where we burned all kinds of things from our past. This was all new for them. They had never heard about hippies getting saved and becoming Jesus people. Of course, her husband, while smoking a joint, did try to refute the whole subject of Christianity. I think he was blown away, though, by the change in Thomas, and it wasn't just because he looked different with his short hair. The two guys had always sat around smoking and talking about deep philosophies while Thomas strummed away on his guitar. At some point, my friend and I went into the bedroom to nurse our babies and change their diapers. Then she shared with me that things had become difficult in their marriage after the baby was born. Her husband had no interest in working and sometimes would disappear for a few days. I took the opportunity then, while we were alone, to tell her that I wanted to have my camera back that I had loaned them. But I sure wasn't prepared to hear her response. She was terribly embarrassed to inform me that her husband had taken all of my camera equipment to a shop and sold it. She said she didn't know about it until it was too late and that they ended up having an argument about it. It was becoming obvious to her that he couldn't think straight anymore and would do anything to get extra money for drugs. She asked me to please not bring up the subject when we went back into the living room. She was afraid that her husband would flip out. I felt way more sorry for her than I did about the fact that my camera was long gone. So, needless to say, we had an unspoken sad goodbye with them that day. Thomas realized that his friend was too spaced out to reason with, and my girlfriend was embarrassed about how their life was going. When we drove home that day, we prayed for them and decided that it would be best not to tell my dad about the camera. I don't think he even knew that I had lent it out. 
We decided that there was no point in being angry about the situation. We knew that we had also done a lot of dumb and terrible things that hurt other people. That day was our first experience out as a team sharing our faith. It was natural for me to talk with my girlfriend and share our stories about being new moms. When she told me of her struggles with her husband, I tried to encourage her, and Thomas's part was preaching the gospel to the man of the house. He tried to encourage him to stop doing drugs and get a job. That's exactly what my dad had been trying to do with Thomas the past two years. After we got home, we had dinner with my family, and I got Naomi ready for bed. By the time my mom and I sat down in the living room, Thomas and Dad were getting into a conversation about biblical beliefs. Thomas was telling him about his talk with our friends and how they weren't really open to the gospel. He tried to explain to them what true Christianity is and that it starts with being born again. And then he asked my dad what he believes about this subject. This turned into an amazing time of sharing that evening. He told us that he grew up with Christian parents, went to confirmation, and had been a churchgoer all of his life. But when he was in his late 30s, he had a bout with depression, and the pastor had come to the house to talk with him. He told him that he needed to make a true commitment to follow Christ and not try to live in his own strength. That was a turnaround for him. It was a very humbling moment as he shared something so personal with us. And then my mom told of her experience. She said that she always believed that she was a Christian, but then she went to a Methodist retreat in Santa Cruz with my younger sister. There the speaker talked about salvation and the need to be born again. She told us that she and my sister prayed and gave their lives to Jesus. This had taken place in the year when I was living in Berlin, so I didn't know about it. That's why she was so moved to tears when I called her from Living Waters and told her that we were Christians. She understood what I meant and was overwhelmed that God had answered her prayers. Our talks that night created a deeper bond of love and healing in the relationship with my parents, and that was also going to have an influence on Thomas's mother, as we would soon find out. Thomas told my parents that Nadia had mentioned in her last letter that she was considering coming to California, and then Thomas had a spontaneous idea. He suggested that we call her and encourage her to make the trip. So we gathered around the phone with excitement as Thomas dialed his family's number. It was morning time in West Berlin when Nadia picked up the phone. She was thrilled to hear her son's voice and that we were all together for Christmas. Both my parents greeted her and then Thomas said, please come and visit us and see your new granddaughter. Since she had already been thinking about making the journey, she told us that she would go soon to the travel agent downtown. She said that she might be able to take off work in the middle of January. This was exciting news. And then she said in English at the end of our phone call, see you later. The next day, we needed to drive back to Living Waters, but it was also a see you later. Thomas told my dad that we would drive down and pick Nadia up at the San Francisco airport when she arrived. That meant we would be back again in a few weeks. In closing today, I think of a phrase I have heard before, never underestimate what God can do in your life. In just those few days that I have talked about, a lot had taken place both in our lives and that of the people we had shared our time with. 
I can see that it is important to trust in God's faithfulness and at the same time that we be faithful in nurturing our relationships with family and friends. So take care, friends, and bye for now.